Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Well, Kevin, we have a, a very, very decorated uh, guest this, uh, this morning. We have Dale Petrosky, the president and CEO of the Dallas Regional Chamber. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dale has more than 35 years of leadership experience in the public, private, and nonprofit sector. Um, in April of 2014, he became the president and CEO of the Dallas Regional Chamber, one of the largest and most established business organizations in the state of Texas, and now the country, and we'll get to that later, Dale, representing 800 unique members' companies. The DRC works to strengthen the business community by attracting co companies and talented workers from around the world, improving, improving education, advocating for pro-growth public policies, and enhancing the quality of life for all in the Dallas region. And here's the meat and potatoes about Dale, everybody. Mr. Petrosky's career also includes service as Assistant White House Press Secretary to President Ronald Reagan. He was also the Senior, senior Vice President for Mission Programs at National Geographic for 12 years. And for nine years, he was the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame Museum in Cooperstown, New York. Dale, thanks for being on our show. That was a handful, a mouthful. Uh, Kevin and I have been studying you all week. My first question to you, Dale, is it's the bottom of the ninth. The skipper needs Dale Petrosky to come in out of, out of the bullpen. What is your closing music coming out of right field? <laughs> Man, I've never even thought about that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my closing music. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Trevor Hoffman's got, you know, the Hell's Bells, uh, Sandman's sure. Mariana. What, what is Dale's closing music to wrap this game up? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you, think, you threw me a little bit of a curveball there, I must say. So, like you said, you were the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. What, what's, your, what's your fantasy lineup one through three hall? Who's leading off, who's on deck, and who's in the hole? Gosh, well, I would say um, Hank Aaron is the number three hitter, for sure. Um, leading off, I'd have Ricky Henderson, yep. you know, and my number two hitter, you know, probably Rod Carew. Wow. Right. You know, so I'd say Henderson, Carew, and, uh, and Aaron would be one, two, three for me. That's a mean lineup. I wouldn't want to pitch against those three. <laughs> pitch around <laughs> and meet right after each other. <laughs> Dale, I always learn a lot about leaders and a lot about people just by the food that we eat. I haven't been to Dallas since I was about six years old. Where are you taking me, uh, a New York boy, uh, and, and right around your old roots in Cooperstown, but where are you taking me out for a meal down in uh, Dallas there? You know, there's a place um, that uh, has a little something for everybody. And it's called the Capitol Grill. And they're not just in Dallas, they're around the country. But we like Capitol Grill because, you know, you can get great steak or ribs or whatever you want there. But you can also get, you know, a fish or a salad or, or uh, something a little bit healthier. So uh, I guess that's where I'm taking you and let you choose off the menu what, what, what you'd like. All right. All right. <laughs> love it. And Dale, I always love to ask leaders. So say you're heading, uh, I don't know, 75 North, you know, you're stuck in traffic. Um, and, and Dale Petrosky has one message to put on a billboard. What would that message be for people coming into work in the morning just to get their day going? What, what kind of message would you like to share with the Dallas community? Yeah, I'd, I'd have three little phrases. Uh, stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay hungry. Mm. Because I think so many people in life go through life and are, don't really appreciate 
all that they have. I mean, just being born in America, <laughs> you're the luckiest person in the world. Mm-hmm. Think about if you were born somewhere else in the world, right? And then you're born in Dallas. I mean, that's even <laughs> the best of America, as far as I can tell, right? And then, then I would say, stay healthy. We, none of us can do anything unless we, you know, maintain our energy level and uh, maintain our health. And then I would stay, say, stay hungry because. Uh, a lot of people lose their hunger. They lose their hunger for um, doing good work. They lose their hunger for work itself. Uh, they lose their just their hunger for life and and knowing that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And and so, I think staying hungry is really um, underrated. Yeah. You know, uh, I come I come to work. I'm the oldest guy that works here at the Dallas Regional Chamber. We have 55 people who work here. Wow. I'm the first one here every morning, and I'm often the last one who leaves every night. Yeah. Okay, and I've been at this for over 40 years, and um, and I'm hungry. You know, I'm hungry to do a good job. I never take anything for granted. I never, um, I never have a day off. Uh, what I mean by that is I never come in, give it a, a little bit, and don't give it my all. I when I walk through this door at six o'clock in the morning. I give it my all till the time I leave at night. Mm-hmm. And that's just the only way I know how to do it. And, uh, and I think that, that that's the sort of the embodiment of staying hungry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as a result of that, I got a pretty great life. You know, I've had a pretty great life and I have a pretty great life. And I, I'm 67 now, but I tell my staff, I'm going to live to 110. <laughs> so, and, and I mean it. No, I'm, I'm not joking. Uh, because I believe that, uh, you know, that, that with that attitude and with that uh, fire uh, that I can live a long time and be productive for a long time. And I'm sure you have a ton of wisdom to share over that 35 years of experience and Tyler going down that incredible uh, lineage of, of kind of just the, the various leadership roles that you had in the public, private and nonprofit sector. And something I always wanted to understand is obviously people, some people have never worked in the nonprofit space. Some people have always worked in, in, the, in the private world or public sector. Um, but what was the greatest lesson I guess you learned over your 35 years and, and all of those positions that really helped you become this leader, this prolific leader of now the best, the number one uh, chamber of commerce in the entire country? Um, and we can get into some of the stats on the 200 headquarters that you got relocated to Dallas since 2010. But what did you learn in those initial roles, Dale, that, that helped you become this leader of this great chamber? I'd say the most important thing that I've learned along the way is this. We just talked about coming to work early, working late, you know, getting it done right, being, being professional, doing as well as you possibly can. But here's the thing I learned the most. You've got to work when no one's watching. I mean, if you if you have something due tomorrow or you have a big meeting tomorrow and you got to be in your office at three o'clock in the morning, you got to be in your office at three o'clock in the morning. And nobody's around to watch you be there at three o'clock in the morning. You're the only one who knows that you're there at three o'clock in the morning. Okay, so work when no one's watching. But here's the other side of that. When you are working, You've got to understand that everybody is watching you. Everybody is watching your every move. And they're forming an opinion about you. Okay. So when you when you kind of went through my career, Tyler, 
every one of those jobs, somebody said, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. Really, they didn't interview me for those jobs. They just watched me in my previous job and said, I want you on my team, come with me, okay? And so if you show up every day and you understand that from the moment you walk in the, the door that day, people are watching your every move. Hmm. Are they nice to people? Is that person nice to people? Are they competent? Do they work hard? Do they, do they, do they treat everybody fairly? Okay. Do they represent my company well? All right. All those things go into somebody saying, I need somebody just like you to come with me. Mm. And, and that, is the, that is the thing that's probably supercharged my career more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I understood that from a very early age. Mm -hmm. I, 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 one thing I just want to add to that is that you, it seems like you're not doing things just to get a promotion, Dale. You're, you're doing the motions. You're doing the action. I have never been one that I always say kiss butt to get promotions. And that's exactly what I'm hearing you say is that you don't have to. You don't have to give up certain ethics and values and things that you hold important in order to continue to have success and get these promotions and obviously being in a position where you are today. Thank right, you so for I'm gonna, sharing I'm gonna give you. I'm going to give you one story, which is going to explain exactly what I'm talking about here. This is how I got to the White House, okay? <laughs> All right, so I am a chief of staff for a congressman on Capitol Hill, Congressman Bill Gilding of Pennsylvania. And every year we had one big dinner in the district in York, Pennsylvania, where we brought a big Washington name there for this event. And this one year, and it was 1982, we brought up um, Larry Speaks. Larry Speaks was President Reagan's press secretary, and he was the, the big name. And that morning, the congressman called me and said, Dale, I won't be in Washington with you to come up to Pennsylvania with Larry. You're going to have to do this on your own. You can fly up there on your own with Larry. And so we had this little Air Force jet that White House officials traveled in. There were four seaters. I mean, there were tiny little jets, four seats. And I'm like, you know, a few feet from Larry flying up. Now, I'd never met Larry Speaks before. Frankly, I had never set foot in the White House before. Okay. And so I'm asking him on the way up, what's your day like? Tell me, tell me uh, about what, what does the press secretary do? You know, that kind of thing. He used to work on the Hill. He's asking me all about the Hill. So we developed a great bond on this trip up. And we found out we both love baseball. And that, that, really, that really connected us, okay? So we go up. He has a great time. I introduce him around when we're at the meeting, the, the dinner. We fly back. He writes me a really nice note, Dale, so great to meet you. Love to spend time with you and hope, hope we can stay in touch. And I write him a same, similar note. Boom, gone. Okay, so that's, that's another thing done. A year and a half later, I'm sitting in my office on Capitol Hill and the phone rings. And my assistant says, Dale, I've got Larry Speaks on the line. I said, really? <laughs> and, and I picked it up and he said, Dale, hey, well, how you been? Long time, no talk. I said, yeah, Larry, how's it going? He says, look, I'm busy. You're busy. I got one question for you. How would you like to come work for the president? And me? I said, really? <laughs> he, he's, I said, well, I better talk to my boss about that. He said, no, I'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about that. I'll take care of that. Uh, when can you come down and talk? And, and, and here's what he told me when I came down to the White House. He said, after that trip to Pennsylvania, 
I took your business card into my morning meeting. The next morning, I held it up in front of my staff and I said, the next opening we have, this is the guy we're hiring. Wow. Yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about. When, at wherever you are and whatever you're doing, people are watching, mm -hmm. people are judging, and people are saying either, wow, love to have that guy on my team or that woman on my team, or, eh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got a chance to make an impression, right? Wow. And you know, you're not doing it to do that. I mean, you're just, and, and that, that takes me to the next thing, I think. Um, and this is really important for young people to understand too, is you've got to be two things. You've got to be interested and you've got to be interesting. And to be interested means you genuinely are interested in other people. You're asking a lot of questions, you know, or, or you are reading things that, make, that you're interested in, okay, to make you more well-rounded, better informed, all these kinds of things. Um, that'll, that, that makes you interesting. The more you know, the more interesting you are, okay? And, if, and you have, if you have an ability to communicate it in an interesting way, that makes you interesting. So people like people who are interested and interesting. What Larry saw in me on that plane trip up to the district was a guy who was interested interested in what he did, how he did it, and maybe it was a little bit interesting because I'd had, you know, because I took the time to learn some things along the way. Mm -hmm. And so interested and interesting are really important. And, and that, and, and you never stop wanting to, do, to be either of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, people know when you're genuinely interested in them and people like to be ask questions about themselves. When, when I tell my staff, when I go meet with a new CEO over lunch and you know, I've, I've read all about them before I see them, okay? And I, I, here's the way I start lunch. I say, hey, I've read all about you, but I want you to tell me in your own words, take me through your life. And they say, well, I graduated from Yale or what? I said, no, no, no. You didn't start your life at Yale. Take me to the beginning. How did you grow up? You know, what were your parents like? What would your parents do? You know, how many siblings did you have? Or do you have? You know, how did that inform the choices you made to live the life the way you've lived it? And then when I do that, I don't have to talk for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> and what I'm, what I'm picking up through all that is I'm learning about that person. Mm -hmm. I'm learning about what they what matters to them. I'm learning about the, the, the good, the bad experiences that they've had in their lives. I'm learning about um, what our connection points are, either, either schools or geography or teams or sports or whatever it is. And now I've got the basis to build a real relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. If I just show up for lunch, we order our food and we talk about business, like very transactional. It's all about relationships. You know, I want to know who that person really is. And then slowly, as we start talking, they're going to learn a little bit more about me. But I'm always the one who wants to ask more of the questions uh, to, to, to get to get to, to who that person really is. Yeah.
And then, and then you, you're willing to actually listen. I think once you ask those questions, then you're actively listening. I love that. Ty, what do you Dale, can, can you take here's, us back? Here's, here's the other piece of that. Here's the other piece of that. I take these notes wherever I go. Okay. All right. When I sit down for lunch with someone and they start telling me, I said, do you mind if I take a few notes? And I take notes about what they're talking to me about. Mm -hmm. The act of putting pen to paper as they're talking means that I'm really listening. That I, otherwise, I could be asking them a question. I, you know, I could be zoning out, and I'm not listening. But I'm actually listening. And then, when I take this note, I put it back. I put it into this. Okay. So next time I see them, I can I can basically tell you everything we talked about. Mm -hmm. All right. And the act of writing it down, the act of putting it in there, sears it in my mind. So now I remember something about that person. And I'm in the business in my job now of connecting dots. Mm. okay so it's really important for me to remember a lot of things about a lot of people because this person needs to know this person because when the two of them do get together it's going to be great for both of them mm -hmm. and that's the business we're in and so many people and this goes beyond the transactional stuff out of the blue if somebody call, if somebody sends you an email and say you need to know this person for this reason uh, and i'd like to set you up you, they haven't even asked for that. But if you do that for them, that's like gold. Mm -hmm. That is like gold. That is the equivalent of them saying, you know, that there's a guy I want on my team. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how I see networking. I mean, given your role that you're in right now, I see networking very similarly is that there are people out there in networking that are trying to be manipulative and deceitful in order to get uh, certain things. But then there's also people like you, myself, and Tyler that see it very differently. And it is just connecting those dots or enabling their success and sitting back and watching what happens. Yeah. I had an interesting story to share with Goose Gossage. Uh, speaking, of, I was in your yeah. Hall of Fame, listen to Goose, give a talk. Um, and it was pretty remarkable. But one of the things that I found fascinating was that in 10 years, when he goes down to Yankees camp, that they are not, no, the youth are no longer asking him questions about how to prepare for a game. What's the best way to throw a pitch or mentally prepare? Yeah. I found that fascinating. What are your takeaways from that, Dale? Because I've always been that, that genuinely inquisitive person that wants to ask questions, but how do we rebuild that with, with some of the, the multi-generational workforces that we're dealing with today? I view it as a huge lost opportunity. You know, I spent a lot of time with my Hall of Famers. I knew them all like brothers. I've been to their homes, they've been to my home, and I spent a lot of time with them. Uh, and, and I love the, the times we shared, dinners, drinks, and I, I would just I would ask them question after question after question. And they, they understood that I understood the game pretty well. I played at a pretty high level and, and they, they understood that I wasn't just a fan, right? That I kind of got it, right? And, and they respected me that I'd been in the White House at National Geographic, that I just wasn't a baseball guy, right? And so, um, so I got so much knowledge out of them and, uh, and just little things and, and that were... Incredible. I mean, I'll give you, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Stan Musial. I asked Stan, um, I, I, I saw that his um, career batting average against left-handers was 331 and against right-handers was 331. It was very rare for a guy to hit as well against, he's a left-handed hitter, as well against left-handers as right-handers. And I said, Stan, how did that happen? He said, he said, well, 
he said, when I hit against right-handers, you know, I would crouch and my head, you know, the ball's coming out of the, out of the right-hander's hand this way. And when the left-hander came up, I just turned this way. I just opened my stance up because the ball was going to come out this way. Simple little thing, right? Now, if a hitter in the Cardinals organization a few years ago when Stan was still alive had the presence of mind to ask Stan, how do you hit against left-handers? And Stan would give him a little bit of knowledge. Think about how that would change that kid's career, right? But did they have the presence of mind to do that? Or do they think, oh, old guy, different game, you know, has nothing to, to talk to me about. Um, I'm telling you, there's these guys are just filled with information. And, oh, yeah. and, and it's not just ball players. I mean, I, I do this with everyone. I think one of the great resources we have in this country are older people. And yet the minute they stop working is the minute the phone stops ringing <laughs> and people realize people believe that they're no longer useful when they've got all this information that is stored there, this wisdom that could be passed down to younger people. Uh, and if you're willing to listen, let me tell you something. Uh, I think a lot of my success was that I listened to older people who were, you know, further along in their careers or further along in their lives. I'll give you one example. When I was working at National Geographic, my boss was Gil Grosvenor. And Gil Grosvenor was the, the um, great-grandson of Alexander Graham Bell. All right, and the, the Grosvenor family were, were part of the Bell family. So, and he was my boss, he was a wonderful guy. Well, I got to know the Grosvenor family very, very well when I was at Geographic. And, and Gil's father-in-law was a doctor. He was the top urologist in Washington. His name was Dr. Dabney Jarman. And Dr. Jarman was the happiest guy I knew. He was like 92 years old, but so happy and so nice to everybody. And one day I asked him, I said, Dr. Jarman, What's your secret? What is your secret? You're the happiest guy I know. He said, Dale, a long time ago, I realized we're here to help people. Mm -hmm. We're only put on this earth for one reason, to help people. Everything else is a, is a distant second. And the minute I realized that, the minute is the minute that it changed my life. And I, I realized I'm, you know, that's what I want to do. And I'm a pretty happy guy. And you know what? It's, just, it's wisdom from a 92-year-old that I took the time to ask a question of that really gave me something that I will take for the rest of my life. Yeah. Sounds like freedom in essence, Dale. Yeah. 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 Dale, can you take us back before East Lansing for us? Uh, like you said, your, your favorite question, and, and I can almost care less for what some people are doing now, their titles, to be yeah. honest with y'all. What, what happened? Cause Kevin, Kevin's a, a new dad. I'm about to meet a new dad. And if I could have my child to be anything like Del Petrosky, I think I'd be a winner. <laughs> um, what happened before East Lansing, Dale? What, th that's probably the pivotal piece if yeah, I had I'll to. Yes. I'll tell you. Okay. So I, I grew up um, in a lower middle class family. Okay. So my I'm one of nine children. Wow. Nine children. And we had a 1,300 square foot house. Okay. Wow. I say to my staff, I'll bet not one of you lives in a 1,300 square foot apartment here. We, there were 11 of us living in the 1,300 square foot house when I was growing up, okay? Um, and, you know, went to Catholic schools, you know, we're a Catholic family and went to Catholic schools. And then um, um, I was a pretty good athlete. I was always a good athlete. I was always a good baseball player. And... Um, and, I was a, and when I started playing football in junior high, I was a pretty good football player. So, so I was an athlete. I cared between you and me. I cared more about 
sports than I did about academics. Uh, I gave Guilty. a lot more. Guilty. I gave a lot more. Energy, <laughs> I gave a lot more energy to that than I did to, to, to academics. Um, although I was an okay student, but I was, you know, I probably could have been a lot better student. But but I was focused on the other things. When I was giving an example of how much I love sports, um, you know, uh, when I wasn't playing baseball from about the age of six, I was watching it on TV, listening to it on the radio, reading about it. I just loving it. And then when I was 12 years old, uh, in the summers, on the days I wasn't playing my games, um, I took the bus down Michigan Avenue to Tiger Stadium to wipe seats for free to be, I was a boy usher at Tiger Stadium, a volunteer boy usher, so I could get in the stadium, help them out, wipe seats for free, just so I could watch the ball game and then come back home at night, at midnight, you know, I was 12 years old, okay. Then when I was 15 and 16, um, I played on two national championship baseball teams, okay, out of Detroit, travel team, and we won the co uh, college, we won the um, uh, World Series in College Park, Maryland. Uh, okay, so I'm going to take you to a real moment in my life, okay. Um, the second championship that we won, my family was now moving from that little 1300 square foot house, as I say, five rungs up the ladder, to a suburb called Birmingham, Michigan which is really one of the nice suburbs of Detroit. My dad had started to make some money and knew that he needed to give us a better life. So we were moving to Birmingham. But we were moving to Birmingham just before school was starting in late August, okay? And, and so I signed up to play football at my new school. I was gonna be a junior. We were moving my junior, before my junior year. You know, probably the toughest time of life, right? <laughs> So at my old school, I was a varsity quarterback as a sophomore. And there are very few sophomores that made the varsity, but I was a varsity quarterback. I didn't start, but I was, I was one, of the, one of the three. And so I go to my new school and I don't know a soul. These are not my friends. I don't know anybody there. It's a foreign place to me. Two-a-days are tough anyway. You hate two-a-days, right? I mean, it's, it's killer. And I would go home from between the morning practice, after morning practice to my new house, not, no furniture in it. I just had a key to the door, laid down, slept for a few hours, got up, went back to practice. I did that for three days and I was hating it, hating it because I'm thinking, oh, and by the way, this is the important thing. I was number six on the depth chart. I was the sixth quarterback on the depth chart at my new school. They didn't even, they didn't know me. They didn't know I was a varsity quarterback, right? <laughs> okay, so I'm six, right? My mom comes to pick me up. Now, remember, my mom's got eight other kids. My mom drives up because I can't drive yet. She picks me up 20 miles away at my new home, our new home. And I said, Mom, I'm not playing football anymore. And my mom, who's about 5'2", didn't really care much about sports. She looked at me with the steeliest blue eyes, and she said, you are playing football. Wow. And I felt the shiver up my spine. And I went back to practice the next day with a new resolve. I stopped feeling sorry for myself. Two weeks later, I was the starting quarterback at my new school. Wow. And that, that was the turning point of my life mm -hmm. because I saw that out of adversity or feeling sorry for yourself, you can either quit and given my own devices, I would have quit. Mm -hmm. But my mom believed in me more than I believed in me. Mm -hmm. And because of that, 
I had a fantastic experience at my new school. I was the new kid in school. I was the new quarterback in school. I met my future wife probably this first week of school. Uh, we started dating at the end of my junior year. We, we've been together 50 years now. Congratulations. And I'll get, I will guarantee you that if I was not the new starting quarterback and just a kid, <laughs> she would not have been my wife. well only because only because i was getting a lot of attention you know and 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 if i had just come in there's no way that anybody would know who i was right and it would have been a very different experience but it was my mom who really made that happen and um and from that point that was one of the moments in my life where my trajectory started taking off yeah because i all of a sudden gained a new confidence that i could come into new situations and um and succeed in a Mm -hmm. lot of new situations and um anyway so that was that was growing up and then then i um i went to uh, central michigan for a couple of years to play baseball wasn't good enough you know real you know you realize that that Mm -hmm. there comes an end where you're just not good enough and so my girlfriend at the time who's been my wife all these years she was at western michigan we decided we'd merge at michigan state uh and spend (laughs) our last three years at michigan state and um Soon as we uh, graduated, um, we graduated in June, got married in October, and 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 then wow. life took off. So and been there for fifty years. And, I, and one of the things that you just just shared is sometimes you need that reinforcement, that positive reinforcement, whether it's a male figure, female figure within your life. And I see that as such a privilege, having very similar experiences. You know, when you're ready to quit as a kid, you're not really fully aware of the to- full situation. You know, and. I was one of those kids that always had to learn the hard way, but thankfully my parents were there to always pick me up. And just like you, you, you had that realization. I think I lived more for sports and, and that this falsification that we told ourselves that you can become a professional. I was told I wasn't good enough either, you know? Um, but it's unbelievable to, to, uh, how you were able to trace that pivotal point within your life that showed you resilience. I can do this as long as I put my mind through it or to it, I can, I can accomplish what I want to accomplish. Yeah. One, one thing I always wanted to ask, because you've obviously worked in the nonprofit space and the public and private sector, we talked about influence, right? We see social media influence, and then we also talk about impact. What do you see as more important to your legacy, Dale? Yeah, I think it's impact, yeah, definitely. And uh, I've, I've had the great privilege of working for three of the greatest Nonprofit organizations in the world. Wow. Okay, uh, well, one one is a one's government, one, the White House, obviously, sort of the pinnacle of our government, and then National Geographic is the largest nonprofit in the in the world at the time when I was there. It's now partially for profit, but it was a nonprofit then. The Baseball Hall of Fame, which is of course one of the best known nonprofits in the country. And, and now I get to work for a nonprofit, the Dallas Regional Chamber. So I think what I've found is that the nonprofit world, for whatever reason, fit me. Mm-hmm. It fit me. You know, I really um, enjoyed working uh, in mission-driven organizations where the mission inspired people. And, uh, but I also knew how to work with public, uh, you know, the public sector, elected officials and so forth, and also the business side, sponsorships and so forth. So the nonprofit world is somewhere between the government side, the business side, and it's just sort of a connect, 
connector of the dots between between all three. And I think that I probably have those that skill set uh, based on my experiences and a little bit about who I am uh, to bring people together. And so um, I think uh, you know it's worked really well for me. And and I, as I look back on my career now and all that we accomplished at National Geographic when I was there and all that we did at the Baseball Hall of Fame when I was there and now all that we're doing at the chamber here and, and a couple of weeks ago being named the number one chamber in the United States uh, out of 1600. Uh, that's a pretty great, uh, uh, that's a pretty great um, vindication for our team, wonderful team of 55 people here uh, to, to let them know that, you know, the people of Dallas just don't think this, but uh, but our industry thinks this, and uh, they chose us as the number one chamber, and that's pretty special. One thing I just had to say is, did you realize what you were doing way back then when you were working towards it, or now is it a self-reflection, right? No, I think way. that's fascinating in and of itself because you get <laughs> yeah. you just get you get caught up doing the things that you know you need to do in order to be successful, not really know what you're building towards, and then when you look back, it's almost like that gratifying moment of. Wow. <laughs> so I'm going to, so I'm going to um, tell you a little story about when I was at the hall of fame and then, then I'll answer your question, Kevin. When I was at the hall of fame, the question I'd love to ask the hall of famers was this, when it was happening, did you appreciate it? Did you understand wow. how special it was? And almost invariably they said, no, look, Staying in the big leagues is a hard job. You know, there's somebody right behind you all the time. It takes total focus. So most of them are playing scared every single day. You know, these are the greatest players in the world, but they're playing scared that they're going to lose their jobs or that this is not going to last, right? Uh, they, because the definition of a Hall of Famer is consistency over time. Mm -hmm. So the minute you become inconsistent, you no longer are a great player, right? Okay. So for me, I will say this. Here's the only two things I cared about when I was starting my career, because I was getting married. One, I wanted an interesting life. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't even know what industry that was in. I wanted my life to be interesting. Two, I wanted to make a good living to support my family. That was it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, those are the two things that I, my 23-year-old self was telling myself, right? Wow. Um, and, and so then I started, I think I have a discipline about me, which has really helped me. And that is being consistent every single day, going to work, giving it 100% every day, treating people well every day. And I think over time, it's like compound interest. Mm -hmm. If you do it the first day, you know, there's a little bit more the second day, a little bit more the third day, you know. And over 10 years, you've built, built up a lot of interest. You built up a lot of, um, what's the word? Um, goodwill. Mm -hmm. All right, goodwill. And, and just, you have good habits. You have good habits. You're learning things. Uh, and you're, and you're, you're, you're developing relationships. And, and I think that's where it all starts. Then you get, you know, you get a, um, you get a call from the White House. And all of a sudden, your trajectory goes up dramatically. You get a call from National Geographic, it goes up dramatically. You get a call from Cooperstown, it goes up dramatically. And so, but it's all based on that doing the right thing day after day after day. 
And, and there are a lot of people, you know, I tell young people, there's only two things you really need to do um, to be successful. You got to work really hard every day. You got to give it your all every day. Second, you've got to be really nice every day. And I don't mean pat people on the back nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you see an opportunity for someone else, you, you give them that opportunity or you say, hey, I just heard something that you need to know about. I think this is going to help you. Okay. If you, I said, if you can do those two things every single day of your life, you're going to have a great career and a great life. The problem is not everybody can work hard every day. Mm -hmm. And two, not everybody is that generous of spirit. Mm -hmm. So that limits the number of people who actually can achieve that, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that should be the aspiration. The oh. aspiration is to work hard every day and be generous of spirit every day. And I think if you can do that and genuinely do that and get up every day with those two things front of mind for you, you're going to have a heck of a life and a heck of a career. Yeah, my, 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 my daily affirmation in the morning is make a difference today and, and, and talk about compound interest. If you have a positive impact on one person's day, the law of numbers say they know 10 people at least. So very quickly, you can grow that impact. And I, I really love what you're saying. Oh, man. Well, I was just going to chime in uh, and, and, and tell you, Kevin, that I, I called the Dallas Chamber. I'm advocating, by the way, for my company to be in the DRC. And I believe Camille answered um, over there, Dale, and just the, the, the passion in her voice about working for you. And then I got passed along, I think, to Tina. I'm, I'm not sure I'm getting some of these names confused, but you can hear it. They're talking from their chest over there. It's like, it's not a bunch of just nasally, like just from the brain. This is how you yeah. sign up. You know, they're getting me fired up and I'm, I'm already a fired up person, Dale, if you can't <laughs> tell, man. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to say, you know, I already know how you run your program over there, Dale. It's just from, I don't even know what number I called, to be honest. I think Camille was like, what are you calling for? To sell us something? I was like, no, I want to be a part of this. And she, <laughs> the, the, how she handled it just from the, the bottom up or wherever Camille is, and then passed me to Tina. And, and I've talked to another uh, person over there, Dale, but kudos to, to your leadership. And I just wanted to ask you, Dale, how do you keep getting out of bed, growing your network for a kind of guy like you, you know, from the White House to National Geographic to the, the Texas Rangers, to the Baseball Hall of Fame? How do you keep that hunger like you talked about um, and passion to keep meeting more people? I, I couldn't imagine what your Rolodex already looks like. Well, you know, I think I, I view every day as a new opportunity to meet great new people, right? Like you guys. So I get a chance to meet you guys today. Really? I mean, this is fun, really fun, and, and I hope we'll, hopefully we'll stay in touch, you know. Um, but I have, a, I have a meeting this afternoon um, with a, a head of a major executive search firm. I was looking at his resume today and um, before, before the meeting later today. That's going to be a fantastic uh, opportunity to meet a great new uh, leader in this town, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I, I am the luckiest guy in the world because I have a perch here in Dallas where I get a chance to really know a lot of people and a chance to meet new people that are moving in, you know, new people that are getting promoted to new positions, uh, new people who are doing amazing things that not many people know about. And so um, I don't take any of that for granted. I really, I, I really love the idea that uh, every day is a new day and every day is a chance to 
gosh, to, just to have an it, again, have an interesting life, right? I mean, that's all, yeah. that's all I ever, it's all I it's ever. Almost, it's do. almost like your daily, uh, daily rebirthing yourself. It's like, forget my past success and my past accolades. I, I, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That, that makes me feel good. And it's amazing to see how much energy that, that, that just brings to you. But I think you also quoted as you were receiving the, the number one uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, in the country award is that you guys are, it's like the inside of the winning locker room. Um, and one of the things that I, I really pulled out that I was telling Tyler before we uh, got on today is that I loved your affirmation about listening um, and being flexible um, and really listening to your employees and adapting to their needs just as much as we're adapting to our customers' needs there yeah. at the Chamber of Commerce as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and me, that's really me... special, and especially in these environments. How do you open, how do you open that ear but also, how do you get the real information? Because they're only going to really share if they trust you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, I would say this, that I don't, um, I don't have all the answers to all the questions, right? I mean, some leaders, I think, you know, pretend like they do. But, uh, you know, there's certain things that I know a lot about, and I feel very confident in making decisions on. There are other things. I can't be an expert on everything. So the idea of listening and learning um, and and making the best decisions for the most people, to me, is sort of the act of leadership. And but I'll say this too, and because this is an important distinction, Kevin. There are certain things that I believe are truisms in this life. Okay, and let's just say coming back to the office and being in person. Okay, now I'm a relationship guy. You guys are seen that I think already, right? I believe in the value of people being together, getting to know one another, working together, sharing ideas, the better idea. You start with an idea, it becomes a better idea, a better idea, a better idea because of three other people. And now you've got the real idea. You can't do that sitting in your, in front of your computer at home. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I have two daughters in their thirties. They say, dad, we hope we can work remote from the rest for the rest of our life. I said, you know, I said to them, I said, good luck. <laughs> said, good luck with that. I said, you think you ever think you're getting promoted? Yeah. I don't think so. When it comes time to promote somebody and they're looking around and you're not there, you think they're thinking about you? Sorry. Yeah. They're not thinking about you, you know. So and this gets to my point. You know, sometimes we think young we gotta we gotta acquiesce to the younger people. They'd like to work at home and so forth. And I say, no, we're not lowering the bar for them. Mm -hmm. We're raising the bar for them because someday when they get a little bit older and wiser, they're going to say every other employer was lowering the bar mm -hmm. and you were raising the bar and I'm better prepared to take on my next role now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's like my mom saying, you're not quitting. Yeah. Yeah. The point is there are certain things that I know are good for people. And we're not lowering the bar for them just because they want it. Yeah. Well, I think you explaining that why to them in that way that it's your belief that this is where ideas grow and where it sounds a lot better than I don't think you're working at home, right? Is is what and that's really where I think resilience and pushback is, is like I am working from home. Yeah. But when you explain it in that way, that makes you care more about my personal and professional well-being at the same time. Exactly. And I love that. Exactly. Exactly. So powerful. Well, Dale, I just want to say thank you. I could talk to you for another two hours, but I want you to be, have enough time to prep for this big meeting this afternoon. 
Um, but I just want to say thank you. I have, you talk about a man about notes and paper. <laughs> I am just like you. I think you gave me about 10 or 12 pages here. So Good. this was fa fascinating. And I just want to say thank you so much for all the great work that you're doing and obviously the recognition, but not letting yesterday's success build to that ego and, and you forget of how you got there and willing to share with friends and, and, and folks like Tyler and myself, your wisdom, because this yeah. is how we learn and get better. Um, and hopefully help other leaders get better in their roles as well. Well, well I think that just to that point, I know we have to go, but uh, it, it's about staying hungry, right? I mean, Belichick doesn't allow the, the Patriots to wear their Super Bowl rings, right? Wow. He says there'll be plenty of there'll be plenty of time for that when your career is over. Just go put them in a drawer, and we're starting this season all over again. You know what we wow. did in the past. What we did in the past isn't isn't what we're going to do this year. Okay, and I think. That's the point. Put it all somewhere else and come. And, and at the end, you can kind of look at it all in one place and uh, have the memories. But um, you don't don't ever rest on your laurels. That's the worst thing you can do. Wow. Wow. Yeah, well, Dell, thanks. Thanks for accepting our, our invite, buddy. Uh, all right, Tyler. I'd love to grab, grab some coffee or lunch with you sometime near down the road. Um, love been, it. Okay, let's I get, I get out of the house here in a little bit every now and then, you know, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> Before that baby comes, Tyler. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been working a little OT, baby. Uh, when, when's so, the baby? When's the baby due? Christmas Day. Oh, wow. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. It's been a uh, heck of a summer and yeah, I'm, we're, I'm excited. I'm having a baby yeah. girl. Kevin's oh. got a baby boy. They're going to be best friends. Well, <laughs> those, are, so. those are great moments in your life. You guys appreciate every one of those moments. Thank you. We are. Thank we you. Are Helps with that right. perspective. Hopefully.